Welcome back to the Midnight Rider here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. It is my extreme pleasure and honor to welcome to the program somebody I have listened to a little bit. Uh, I've been through his website some, but you can stay there for like a year and probably not go through all the information more than once. Uh, Alan Watts, a long-term researcher into the causative forces behind major changes in historical development. Born in Scotland, he watched the subtleties of politics and media as they guided the population of the U.K. covertly into a European amalgamation. He's been warning the North American people for some years now that the same process of amalgamation is being carried out. With historical documentation, he shows how cultures are created and altered by those in control, always to lead the people like sheep into the next pasture. He has a website, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And, folks, if you've not been to his website, you need to. There is so much information there. You could literally camp out there for quite some time and uh, just read yourself absolutely crazy and fill yourself up with knowledge. Alan Watt, welcome to the Midnight Rider. How are you this evening? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks very much. It's my pleasure to have you on the show. You see, you, 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 you were born in Scotland, and you started watching this I guess coming together, I guess, of, of different nations, I guess, into what we see as, as the EU now. What kind of alerted you to all this? I mean, did you just kind of wake up one day and, and just kind of notice this, or was it a process, kind of a period of time that kind of brought you into all this? It was a process that started very young. And I realized that the history I was getting in the school, when I compared it to the reference libraries, the adult libraries, and I used to get into the adult libraries when I was six and seven, or five even, uh, they, were, they were changing history. Uh, history was written at the period uh, was now vastly and drastically altered. And so I, I questioned my teachers about it. And, of course, they had been taught in the most recent history at college, too. And they didn't know, so I gave them the proofs of it, and they were rather stunned. They realized that um, Britain especially is the, is the master at controlling and creating cultures and... Um, not only for one country, but for, for the world itself. Because when you went back into history, you realized that the British Empire, uh, truly uh, empire-making is a science, and a science which was known thousands of years ago. Uh, it's not known to the public, but it's kept in the archives and, and uh, shown to certain professors. And I have that uh, as a fact now from a few professors who've been allowed access to these archives. But... Britain in the 1500s decided to make a global empire based on uh, free trade, basically. And John Dee was the guy who came up with the term the British Empire uh, and the term free trade, including the term uh, most favored nation status, uh, a a term we hear today, even with China, that's given most favored nation status uh, to to trade freely with them. Europe and even the Americas. So this is an ongoing conquest, in fact, uh, to bring a world together under one system. Uh, a system started off by even the Rosicrucians, who surrounded Queen Elizabeth I at the court in London. They were all Rosicrucians, with Francis Bacon, Dee, and a whole bunch of them. And even King James, that uh, authorized the setting up of the King James Bible, was a member as well. So you find that nothing really evolved in history. And when you get into the science of creating 
empires, you realize that the Hegelian dialectic was on the go long before Hegel right. renamed it, uh, because the, the whole idea was to create opposites and uh, get people fighting and nations fighting and then come out with the solutions or the treaties or the compromise, really, what is the, what it is uh, in the long run. And that's been going on right up to the present time. And we're now seeing the culmination of the last part of it where the, the Arabic and Aramaic worlds uh, come under the standardization process and a global system comes into view. They're resisting a little more uh, heartily than I think others have. Um, I, I think part of that, too, is the fact that you know, they've been fighting amongst themselves uh, for so long that, that war and the talk of war uh, for those in the Arab world is, is literally a thing of life. And it's, so, it's even you know, somewhat ingrained in, in, into their own religion and what they believe. It, it's not so much even that. You know, it's, it's the fact that in a system, uh, which was discussed again a long, long time ago, based on money and wealth, uh, money is a substitute for real wealth. If you understand that process, you understand how it works. Uh, there's always been a small psychopathic elite uh, that at one time used to be called the deviant creation thousands of years ago. And the psychopaths themselves, the whole idea is to get everyone else working for them and to have more of the material goods and the food and the comforts and get everyone else down below working for them. Uh, slavery was the first form of it, and money came in, and, and as, uh, as others have said since there, uh, even Charles Galton Darwin said it in the 1950s, uh, uh, money really creates a new, more sophisticated form of slavery. You don't realize you are a, a wage slave, uh, even when 50 or 60% of your taxes, which is just labor, goes back to keeping uh, a few at the top and, and vast comforts. So yeah, in every country, you see, even, even the Aramaic countries, it's always the psychopathic types who end up getting to the top in every country where money is used. Yeah, I noticed that the psychopathic types... I had read an article here uh, recently, Alan, by Ray McGovern, a veteran intelligence professional for sanity, along with a, with a, with a psychiatrist. I think his name was uh, Dr. Frank, Dr. Justin Frank. And they had done an analysis on, uh, on George W. Bush... A psychological analysis, analysis based on what they've seen him do in the past, his behaviors, things as a child, the fact that you know he'd like to fi- uh, you know put firecrackers and frogs and light it, uh, those type of things. And basically, what I determined from the article, uh, as they don't come out and say it in so many words, is essentially this man has a, has a, an attachment type disorder, who has no remorse for the actions that he takes, uh, and everything he believes that he does is right and it's just. And that everything that he does is, is, is for the right, and there's no compunction, no guilt, no nothing whatsoever about mistakes or lives that he endangers or lives that are taken and killed uh, in, in, in the quest for the fulfillment of his agenda or the agenda, agenda of those above him. Yeah, that's true. A psychopath is pure ego. They run on ego, and they will rationalize anything, no matter how absurd it seems to the general population, they will try and rationalize it. Not to suit you or to please you, but to please and, and, and suit their own ego. They save their ego at all costs. Yeah, and, and they're so charming. I mean, they come out and look uh, totally, you know, like somebody you just want to embrace or they hit at the party, uh, you know, the life of the crowd. You know, you know, I mean, look at George W. Bush, you know, when he was running, even Bill Clinton uh, before him. They look very charismatic. 
uh, you know, they want, people want to go and be around them, uh, because they're perceived to be these charismatic, great leader, leadership type individuals, and they totally are able to ingratiate themselves to the masses just by turning on that little bit of charm, and people follow, follow right along. Yeah. Yeah, the psychopath really, if you went to visit them in their office, it makes you believe that at that moment you were the only person in the world when they stared and listened to at you. It makes you believe truly uh, that nothing else mattered. But as soon as you're out that door, if they had to have you killed, uh, they would just say, remove them. Uh, just instantly, in fact. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and I, was, I was amazed because it had it, it so... Reading this article, my wife and I had, had taken care of, of a number of children uh, over the years, and some of them we, were found uh, to have these same type of attachment disorders, Alan. And, I mean, everything from, uh, like, one of them actually hit my wife and, and, and broke her collarbone, uh, and she was four years old. Yeah. Uh, the types of things that they're able to accomplish and they're able to do, uh, because that mind of theirs, you know, is, is running totally on instinct. And getting what I want, no is not a no is not a response they want to hear. That, that's right. That totally and, and, uh, especially to a child, a child uh, that has a detachment conflict. Especially, you see, they leak themselves, and this is true of Britain, that was the home of all this. Um, they leak themselves uh, in the elite families. The child is, is uh, detached from the mother almost at birth, and they used to have wet nurses that, that right. even fed the child. And then the nanny took care of them until they went off to boarding school. And if they ever saw their parents, it was maybe once a year. And the whole idea was to, to remove the attachment qualities, the emotional bonding, and they make perfect leaders and rulers uh, for a psychopathic core above them, the dominant minority, they're called. And um, so they are perfect for that matter. Children, and all, all the, the top uh, tyrants in history have known this, children, when they're separated from their parents, and, and told that their parents are of no um, power whatsoever, the, the children seek power, they seek the powerful, and if the parents aren't here, they join a gang or the Hitler Youth or the Communist, uh, the Young Communist Party. Whatever is given to them is what they join, because they do want a form of discipline. And with a psychopathic personality, they love uniforms. That's, they tend to start to admire those in uniforms for power. Uh, even Winston Churchill himself who was dried out a few times during World War II because he drank so much booze every day. It was incredible. Right. Um, uh, he, he was diagnosed uh, in some hospitals with a psychopathic personality. Oh, but hold, that that right there. hold that right there, Alan. We're going to grab a break. We'll come back and finish that up on the other side. This is the Midnight Rider here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. My name is Mike Chambers. It is a Monday night. Our guest tonight is Alan Watt. We'll take your calls starting at the top of the hour. The number is 800-313-9443. That is 800-313-9443. Alan's website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. That's cuttingthroughthematrix.com. And, Alan, as we went to break, you were talking about Winston Churchill and a psychological diagnosis given him. Yeah, Winston Churchill was rather typical because 
he uh, he played with toy soldiers his whole life long. He had a room set aside in his uh, big mansion uh, for for battle scenes with toy soldiers, and he played war games right up until he died with them. And he didn't really see those little toy soldiers any differently than the real soldiers that were sent in waves in World War Two. Um, he, he he was dispassionate when it came to that. But he was the first to admit that he himself had no bonding with his father. Right. His father was exactly the same as he was. And his father um, was a lifelong lord as well, who died of syphilis eventually. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, these characters truly, uh, not, not only that, you see, it's not just the, the lack of bonding, it's the fact that it's a genetic problem too. Because over the many, many, many centuries, in, again, the moneyed system, the psychopath gets to the top and then inbreeds with other psychopath right. females. So it becomes a hereditary trait with them. And that's the problem that we have with so many of them today in every country. Right. And it's, yeah, it certainly is extended here because if you look at members of just the Bush family alone, um, George Herbert Walker Bush was uh, sent off to uh, boarding school as a, as a young lad. So were the others. Um, and and those young those boarding schools even for young students, I found out had their own set of secret societies. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah, so 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 the training and the and the indoctrination uh, for these children begins at a very very young age, even while still in the womb. Yes, and then their, their headmasters too, and the masters that teach them, the dons and the deans, are all members of the same culture and societies as well. So it becomes tradition. Yeah. Yeah, most certainly. Uh, what 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 finally brought you to uh, to North America? I know you're in Canada, but what what brought you to this this part of the world? I always kind of knew I'd end up here somehow. I didn't know why, but I did know that what I saw happening in Britain, especially and in Europe, I saw the amalgamation coming uh, long ago, and uh, it was just step by step process. And uh, uh, they kept using certain buzz terms in the news media such as the prime minister's off to, to sign contracts with, uh, with uh, the French president and, and the German president and so on. And they said it was to form closer ties. That's all they would say was closer ties. And I thought, well, in the standards of economics, when you sign uh, economic treaties, all your laws come and circle around the economic system that you have. Therefore, if you're binding yourself economically, you're, you're binding yourself nationally as well into a new system of culture. And that's exactly what was happening. So I, I knew it was time to get out of, of that particular area uh, before it went downhill. And sure enough, I also knew uh, that Britain had signed a treaty with the United Nations in 1945-46 to deindustrialize gradually beginning in the 19, early in the 1970s, but not to tell the public why they were being industrialized. And so they had a tremendous era of depression in Britain, um, as I was growing up right through the whole time, uh, tremendous unemployment, whole generations went on welfare. And Margaret Thatcher came out on national television and said, it's a generation who will never see work in their lifetime growing up, get used to it. And I, I thought, well, it's time to get out. So while we're, while we're undergoing an economic boon uh, in this country, the, the, the exact opposite is happening there in, in the U.K. That was right, yeah. Wow, incredible, and and see, and and that's and and that's part of the thing too, Alan, is is the fact that the news that we get and and the news that the you know each different country sees is so narrow. Yep. 
the amount of information I mean is 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 really the, that's disseminated on a daily basis is really next to none. Well, what I, what I noticed when I was in the music business, I travelled all across Europe and the world. What I noticed in Europe, especially when a law was being passed in Britain, I travelled to France and and West Germany and and Norway and so on, and find the same law being passed everywhere, but they never mentioned that it was getting passed everywhere else. Everyone took it for granted it was a national law. And, it's, and I saw the binding process happening so covertly, and yet, to, in, a, in a sense, it was in the open as well for those who could see. And I also got to, to meet some of the top politicians in, in Europe because after concerts, they'd ask you home and uh, they'd like to show you off type of thing. And they'd, they'd often say odd things, I did meet one of them in Norway that now is at the, at the United Nations, and, and she was telling me about the future that she foresaw. At the time, it was a bit over my head, but I caught some of it. And she did talk about the amalgamation process that would happen and how drastically the cultures would be altered, and the whole world would be altered eventually. Wow. So now, now how long were you in the music business? Were you, were you a musician? Or? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wrote a lot of songs for a lot of singers, but I also played session as well and laid the tracks down for a lot of the, the, the albums. And, uh, and I could play solo as well on concert, either with groups which occasionally form for, for musicals, stage musicals, or else I played solo and classical. So just uh, what, what instrument? Uh, oh, quite a few, but mainly uh, guitar was my favorite. Mainly guitar. Excellent, excellent. All right, we're going to grab a break. Alan Watt is our guest. We'll come back on the other side with more. Again, at the top of the hour, we'll take your calls. Here on the Midnight Rider, our guest tonight is Mr. Alan Watt. His website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. It's a great website. You need to check it out. Back to our guest, Alan Watt. Alan, you use a term that, to me, is so much more fitting for these people. A lot of times, in especially even in Patriot Radio, uh, you hear the term elite used, but you ter- use the term psychopath, which I think is a much, much better term, and, I, and I'm glad to see somebody using that on a regular basis. Yeah, they're also called the pathocracy, because the pathocracy is a term coined by a, a lot of um, psychologists and, and psychiatrists that came out of the, the ex-Soviet bloc, and they were studying the tactics of their own leaders. They realized that there were psychopaths running them too. And uh, a label was eventually put on of the pathocracy. Um, we find Aldo Huxley, who was a member of this, this dominant minority, he called them the dominant minority. And he, what Huxley said at his speech in Berkeley in the 1960s was that there had always been in history a dominant minority, and he could see no reason why there shouldn't always be one. And, of course, he knew that because they ran what we call the economic system, Entirely, uh, they're the characters who who own the, the resources of the world and the merchandising of the world. They own all of it, basically, and they run the politics too. Why? Why would anybody think that, that, that there should be a dominant minority? Because you know, these people, Alan, you know, have done, have done nothing but but brought pain and misery mm-hmm. on those that they've tried to. Uh, the majority they've tried to keep uh, as inferior. That's right, and that's the interesting part of it. I mean, even Plato talked about this because he was also a member of the, the, the aristocracy in his time. And, and the Republic, the, the book called The Republic that Plato wrote, 
he laid out the foundations for this world system. They call it a utopia for themselves. And he called it the dominant minority, the guardian class, those who are the guardians of the world. It's their world. And But he talked about a time when they would bring out, uh, you know, thousands of what we now call bureaucrats. He called them helpers that would help run uh, the its. The its were the common people beneath them, the vast majority of people. Uh, and they'd actually breed them for special tasks and purposes, just like you breed domesticated animals. Right. Uh, so every one of the top characters goes by Plato's philosophy. They think it's the natural order of the predator, and they have no problem talking about this amongst themselves. They are a predatory class. And when you bring, break down the word predatory, you have predate. In other words, they predate what we call civilization or history. They've always been here, and they call it the law of nature. So they have a, a thousand uh, rationalizations and justifications for why they should be at the top and why they should act like gods on the world. And yet we are the, the small helpless sheep that without their that without their astute shepherding we'd all be lost. That's right. And, and the sad part is they understand tribalism. And uh, in the 1960s, the Royal Institute of International Affairs with its uh, this American organization called the Council on Foreign Relations, it's the same branch, same thing. Um, they discussed uh, this very topic of, of um, a future society led by this dominant elite and, and rationalized uh, why they had the right to do so. And they said that 87% of the public have no mind of their own. They simply adopt whatever opinions given to them by the expert media. And therefore, by the very fact that they would not reason for themselves, they had to be mastered and they had to be led or pushed. And that's, these are the words that they use. They're very arrogant at the top, but they do publish what they say. But, but, but they're, you know, the fact that they say that 80% of the people don't think for themselves, I think, Alan, that that's probably fairly accurate. It is accurate. But then again, we look into the conditioning that we have and this is a scientific process of conditioning that we've been in since the, basically the beginning of the, especially the, the television era. Uh, massive indoctrination, even through cartoons, when you realize that cartoons themselves are conditioning that child uh, from, from an age of two years old to experiences he will notice in the future and accept and adopt. It's called predictive programming. And then once you're into the school system, it's further reinforced Right. Stalin said the same thing. He says the first people you must pay very well are the educators because they will condition the minds so that the public will perceive the way that we want them to perceive. And that's, that's very true. It's a scientific process. Well, and it's, and it's working well. I mean, the dumbing down of the children here in the United States, and I mean, just from, from generation to generation, is incredible. Uh, Alan, I, I, I can go to a kid... That if, I, if you can find one standing outside, you could ask them for directions, and they can't tell you where things are around them in their own neighborhood. I mean, I, it's, I it's literally amazing. And they have no interest of it. No. That's the other part. They have no interest in their surroundings or people, but you put them in front of a computer, and they act uh, swiftly and uh, precisely. Uh, it's quite interesting to see that they've already been programmed towards the next step. And we know what the next step is because they've published what the next step is, and that's interfacing with computers. Right. You know, we, we uh, my wife and I took our kids out of town uh, over the weekend, and we spent three days in a, in a little one-bedroom cabin 
kind of stuck out in the woods. We weren't very far from civilization. Um, but there was no there was no television other than a VCR there with a few movies, but mostly movies they're not interested in. And there was no Xbox, no video games, no Internet. Uh, and the kids literally were going stir-crazy for at least two days. On the third day, they discovered outside. Uh, they discovered that it's not all that hard to create your own adventure and your own fun. And uh, and last night, we, we left this morning and came back. By the time we left, called them in last night at 10 o'clock, they were out traipsing around in the dark with a, with a $2 flashlight having a ball. Yeah. And it was just it was just them discovering that hey I can do this I can have fun doing this. Yes, they they can start to use their imagination rather than have it all laid on for them. That's just it. You see, everything today is laid on for you. You come home from work even as an adult, you turn on that television tube and you just zonk out and you're being programmed. You you don't participate in anything. In fact, people don't even talk to each other very much anymore in the same families. But children have to use their imagination because that's how they work out not just problems in life, but it's how they work out who they are individually. And they gain confidence by doing so and exploring. Yeah, oh yeah, most most certainly. I mean, because you had mentioned that you had gotten into the child reference li- the, the adult reference library. Mm-hmm. As a child, by the time I was seven or eight, I was pointing through encyclopedias like you couldn't believe. I mean, I was just hungry for any type of knowledge I could find. Mm-hmm. Yep. And 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 but today, I mean, to try to get one to buy a book, to, to you know, to read a book, or anything. I mean, I went and gone out and bought uh, my son, who's 11, uh, a number of classics. You know, Tom Sawyer, uh, Robinson Crusoe, things like that. Thinking they would just really trip his trigger. He had no interest in them. They weren't. On, well, they weren't on a video. What's happened too? You see, if you, they've done tests on all of this stuff, but the cartoons. If you watch a cartoon. There's no, there's no still in a cartoon still seen for more than two and a half to three seconds. Right. And this is intentional. It's to, it's to decrease the attention span. If you look away, the child will start, they'll miss part of, of what happens next. You have to be so attentive to make them, and it puts them in a semi-hypnotic state because of the fast action, fast movements. But when they, when they grow up, uh, this, their mind is still going at that speed, and they cannot sit still for a minute and actually read something and think. And, and this is the, the side effect of, of uh, being brought up with television. Right. And I know for me, Alan, that the effect of having a book in my hand, I retain the information better with the book in my hand than I do actually physically going through information on a computer. Yeah. If I've got the book in my hand, I'm going to retain it much better than having having it on a screen for some reason. Yeah, most of people have said the same thing. Uh, it's because of the flicker rate, which you don't consciously right. see. Right. Subconsciously, you do, and so you're in a semi-hypnotic state, but you're not retaining it. It's not going deep. Well, that makes total sense. So I'm hypnotized most of the time throughout the day. Yeah. Most of us are, yeah. Most of us, indeed. So you you, you come here uh, to this country, to to this part of the world because you're in Canada now. Have you lived in the states at all? No, I've been through the states. I've recorded there in some places. Yeah. So you come to this continent. And you see the the exact same thing happening here mm-hmm. yep. uh, that happened in the in the in the UK. Yep. What, what what were your thoughts when you first started seeing that when you when you arrived here? Uh, I saw it fairly quickly actually. They're already underway uh, doing nefarious little dirty deeds between the politicians, and um, but I realized that the U.S. would have to be taken down in a different way. Right. And when, when Kissinger himself gave the speech at California, 
where he said that eventually Americans would welcome UN troops coming in uh, under the right circumstances, I knew they were going to use terrorism or catastrophes to make it so. And they've, they've certainly, have, have, you know, done a good job, especially with 9/11. But you know, the, again, you know, you have this more. We can go back to the programming again. Uh, we're six years removed from 9/11, and nearly every day uh, there will be an article out claiming that a new terrorist attack is on the horizon. That's right. There's a stampeding effect. You see, uh, this was well understood from the French Revolution onwards that you must, when you're changing a system drastically into a new way of life, in fact, and that's what it's to be, a completely new way of life for everyone, uh, and that's the end of marriage and the end of private property, ultimately, uh, and so on, um, then you must bring in a reign of terror. You must terrify the public and keep it going for as many years as possible. And when Rumsfeld said this might be a hundred years war after 9-11, he was talking about the whole agenda into this new world order, a new order of society, a planned society run by the experts. Um, that's what he was referring to. Uh, we must give up all our old antiquated ideas of picking a mate, having your own children, uh, and all of that kind of stuff, picking your own job. That's all to go. We've all to serve the state in this future society. And this has been written about by the leaders of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. These are the guys with an American branch, the CFR, that drafted up the unification of Americas and gave it to the presidents to sign. Absolutely incredible. And the thing is, Alan, it's all right under our noses. Yeah, they had it on television. In fact, in Canada, uh, in 2005, in March, when they signed the first open part, or at least public part, of the integration, uh, the Council on Foreign Relations came out on, with a, a blurb on the news openly as the Council on Foreign Relations and they said that they had actually drafted up this whole thing for them to sign. They were proud of it. Yeah, well, they're, 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 yeah, they're definitely proud. But I, are you surprised at the, at, at the, the amount of resistance that, that uh, has been presented so far to this North American Union idea here? No. Um, they, they predicted it 20, 25 years ago and that's when they started to build up new forms of internal armies under many guises and uh, all the different SWAT teams and all the rest of them to amalgamate multi-jurisdictional task forces, what they call them now. And uh, they've been training them, bringing them in from the military and put them into special police sections. I read an article last year that said that I think it was nine out of every ten uh, policemen now in the U.S. has come right out of the military. So they're already combat trained for the future. They have two sets of uniforms in Canada as well as the States. They're the ordinary one for their beat, which is all black now, even in Canada. Right. And the ones you tuck your pants into the combat gear uh, for the actual uh, urban warfare that they expect to come. That's also been declared publicly by the Department of Defense in Britain a couple of months ago in the Guardian newspaper. You can find this on my website. They put out a 90-page report of what they foresee worldwide for the next 30 years. And it's nothing but uprisings by the peoples and uh, flash mobs, they call it, going against the government uh, all over the place. And they even say that they're ready to use neutron, neutrino, bomb, neutrino bombs on, on the public if necessary. So they, they know what they must do 
in this striving towards the, what they call utopia, a, a completely new society. They know the resistance they're going to have because there's to be no automobiles in the future. Uh, that's in the, the, the Agenda 21 from the United Nations. Um, no private vehicles, no private uh, homes. It will be rental only because they want to issue credits by the government uh, instead of money. You'll get so many credits per week in your account. If you disobey government, they'll withdraw your credits and you can't pay your rent. So it's to be used as a sort of, sort of uh, social punishment. Um, so this is all mapped out. And you can find a lot of this stuff from Bertrand Russell, Lord Bertrand Russell, who was a big player in, in a draft. He drafted a lot of this stuff up for the Royal Institute for International Affairs, which is the front group for this global elite uh, company. Wow. Now, I had, you know, it, it's the, I don't want to use the term fear, but a chill went down my spine, Alan, when, when you brought up the fact that they already know that at some point in time we will rise up and try to stop it. Yes, and they know what will cause it, not just it. In a 90-page report, it was nothing but their reaction to the public. They didn't say one thing as to why the public would react in the first place. And it has to be very again, drastic because they're going to, yeah. under the Kyoto and all the other grabbing of all natural resources and energy, they're going to drastically re- reduce your way of living uh, down to third world status. Certainly. I mean, they're doing a darn good job of that already. I mean, look at the uh, the economy of this country. You've got uh, all of the high-tech jobs are going overseas. They're out of here. Uh, manufacturing has been decimated in this country. The... the uh, you combine that with the influx of illegal aliens, and you've got wages, you know, starting to drop and, and meet kind of at a midpoint, close to the minimum wage, uh, and it'll, it'll get to the point where people cannot make a living. And they know that because that's the intention. Right. I always said that when the U.S. was used as the big machine and the financial and the manpower machine to take down the Middle East, they'd already be pulling the carpet from under your feet back home, and that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and and we and we keep coming we keep coming back to this program. And when we come back uh, from the break, Alan, I, I want to talk maybe a little bit about how we start to reverse the programming, mm-hmm. because that seems to be our if 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 the programming has been, has been their chief weapon, then in my mind it seems that that we must use the programming itself and change it. Uh, must to, change it, yeah. Must change it, yeah. We'll talk about it when we come back. We're talking with Alan Watt. His website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You're listening to The Midnight Rider. Your telephone number is 800-313-9443. This is the Republic Broadcasting Network. short segment here to take us up to the top of the hour on the Midnight Rider with Mike Chambers and my guest tonight, Alan Watt. And as we're going to the break, we're talking about, we've been discussing really the idea of programming and how we've been experimented with. And we've been watched and we've been toyed with and we've been maneuvered, not only in, 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 the, in the 21st century and the 20th century, but for, but for centuries itself. And, and these people, these psychopaths, have been able to do quite a case study on us and know exactly who we are and how we function. 
And Alan, with with all this programming that, that we undergo on a, on a daily basis, that with each passing year increases and increases, how do we start to reverse the program? It starts with the individual. Uh, generally, people when they start waking up look for groups to join, and that's the first mistake because when you realize the scope of this thing. Uh, pretty well every big major group out there is authorized to be there so that you will join them. Uh, this is an old technique that's been tried over the centuries as well. Um, for instance, even Lenin uh, said that they would use, uh, they initially they used Freemasonry to get Masons in for the revolution, but they also wanted a personality profile on people with leadership abilities. So they all joined these clubs, and after the revolution, he rounded them up and killed them. Uh, this is rather typical uh, of, of how they do things. Old strategies, but still in use today. And there's a lot of fakes put out into society to mislead the people and and um, and really to get their names and, and uh, personality profiles on them too. Uh, Colonel Bo Greitz was doing their drones of shortwave for years and he had his own show on shortwave and yet the day after 9-11 uh, he was on the congressional steps and he was interviewed on national television and when he, he was asked who did it, he said it would be those crazy shortwave patriot types that see black helicopters and so on. So this is a guy who was a plant all those years sent right. out by the Pentagon to fool the people. There's lots of them out there. Of a percentage of those uh, people in, in the patriot movement, what, what in your mind do you think is a percentage of those who are indeed plants? Uh, you'll Would find you any, every, every major group will have this deep plant. In fact, often they'll, they'll start up the group say all the right things right. Uh, and live uh, very simply even if necessary to, to attract members and, and names and so on. Doesn't it seem today you can keep nothing private and therefore right. I always tell the individual the change starts in you yourself and if you realize you've got nothing to lose anyway uh, that's when you start becoming active and, and, and telling other people um, you don't act as a group because groups eventually will be used to start off the chain reaction with the, which the other side expect you to do. In fact, they want you to do. They do right. want trouble to start from the patriot side so they can say to the general public, look, there are crazies living amongst you. We can't trust you with firearms and so on. And so here's what we're going to do. That's what will happen. So the mass meetings and the, and the getting together and showing strength and stuff is almost their... I, unknowingly, as 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 a way to bring these people about and actually physically allow themselves to 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 embed into what we're doing. Absolutely, uh, there's a guy in Canada who spoke out about this when he woke up. He didn't know the whole story, and because he advocated a, a, a march on Ottawa, uh, he was automatically targeted by CSIS, that's our CIA, and they were camped outside his door every day and they followed him to work. He got to know them. He was bringing them coffee in the morning, and he thought he'd educate them on why they should right. change their minds and become patriots. And I think one of them had a hangover one day, and they said, you don't understand, Brian. We want you to cause a revolution. And that's when he's, the ground dropped away from underneath and when he realized that he was doing exactly what they wanted. Oh, wow. Well, hang on. We'll, back in 70 seconds on the other side here, a break coming up here. We'll talk more with Alan Water, our guest. Our phone number, if you want to get involved in this conversation, 800-313-9443. That's 800-313-9443. You're listening to The Midnight Rider on the Republic Broadcasting Network.
Hour number two underway here on the Midnight Rider. My name is Mike Chambers of the Republic Broadcasting Network tonight. Welcome aboard. It's Monday night now into uh, Tuesday morning, the 13th of August into the 14th. Glad you're with us tonight. Our guest is uh, Mr. Alan Watt. Alan's website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. My website is MidnightRiderShow.com. MidnightRiderShow.com. Back to our guest. Alan Watt. Alan, you know, they, it really makes it difficult then to, to do any, anything as far as growing a movement or growing people to, you know, to, to come together as one if, if the danger of this in, infiltration like COINTELPRO with the anti-war movement, if, if, that, if that danger is so high, just forming a group itself is a danger all, 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 all together. It would depend on what your format was. You see, what the elite have always expected is a natural reaction, which is uh, head-on resistance and opposition, totally opposite the Hegelian method. And what they don't expect, of course, is, is something of a different nature, something they haven't predicted. They're always ready for, for, for people coming against them in all ages. That's, that's standard. And so, but the thing is, you see, first of all, before you start to, to say and panic and say, what are we trying to save or keep? You have to realize that what you've got already is a culture that was given to you in the first place. And including the way that with everything you think is normal is not normal at all. It's just what you've been given as a normal. And you have to rethink the whole process of society itself. And what is the purpose? Do you want to keep an inhumane society? Not that you could. You couldn't keep this system because the elite own it and they're changing it to the next level. Um, society as it is today is anything but humane. It's inhumane. It's a dog-eat-dog society because a psychopathic elite or a patho- the pathocracy at the top give you a psychopathic culture that calls success getting to the top by any means possible. You get the best treatment in hospital if you've got the money get tossed on the street to die if you don't. Uh, this is not a humane system, and it's a dysfunctional system, as you know right now, because right. That, those things which held it together in the past, the family unit, has been pretty well destroyed for most people. Right, and the, fa- and the family used to take care of each other. You would have generations of, of family uh, living together, and you no, longer, you no longer do that, because, I mean, the message was put out that you're 18, you get out of school, you go to college, or you go to a Votech, and you set up life on your own, away from mom and dad. That's right. And even mom and dad can hardly get on because they've both been so conditioned, again, through media, to want uh, fantasies. They, 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 they want uh, the men see nothing but the young uh, females and you know, the boob girls on television all the right. time and everything. But the females also are watching all the young fellows, too. So this system is marketing into your head complete dissatisfaction. And, and uh, they make you want complete fantasy. So you can't have a normal relationship anymore. Uh, most people are, are fighting all the time, or most of the time. Yeah, back in a minute. is the number you would like to join us here tonight on the Midnight Rider, 800-313-9443. That's the number we'll get you right into us and get you on the program with Alan Watt. His his website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Alan, 
I think you're actually starting to confirm for me some things that I have thought about, some things that I have talked about on the air on occasion. And, and you talk about that the one way that you war against these individuals is, is, by, is by changing tactics, by going at them differently than what that they would, would, would expect. And I, and I have believed that to be true. And I believe that we, that we hold a weapon in our arsenal that they don't have, that they, they can't understand, nor can they deal with. And that weapon, Alan, quite honestly, is love. It's very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. The whole thing is simple. It's only engine of survival, as they say. So uh, the thing is, um, people have to get down to basics about their whole existence and be honest for the first time in their lives because people are not honest. They're conditioned into a false reality where everyone pretends all the time that they're doing okay, but they're not doing okay at all uh, in, in their lives or their personal lives. And we have to start being honest very quickly. But more than that, we have to start very quickly teaching everyone uh, the mind of the psychopath is not difficult to teach and start to point the fingers at these characters at the top because the one thing that the psychopath cannot stand is having his cover blown. Right. And handle that. He has Almost no, certain. no answer. Yeah, and because when the emperor, you know, uh, realizes he has no clothes, you know, all bets are off at that point. They don't, they don't deal with it well at all. And quite honestly, Alan, I don't think that I would have ever realized that these people are exactly what we've been discussing had I not been around uh, these children with attachment disorders because when you start looking at what they do yep. their actions mirror these kids you know 100% yes and, and when, but you realize it's, it's like having a, a dog with rabies you don't hate the dog because it's got rabies right but you do realize it's a very dangerous thing and when you have a, a, a few thousand of these people at the top and families that are interbred generation like this they're very dangerous because they do hold the powers or the reins of power uh, of money and wealth and think tanks and and all the institutions that they can call it will. Uh, so we have to realize these are very dangerous people because they, they will stop at nothing to get their way. And unfortunately, we've got to a stage now where, as I say, it's like the, it's like the, the man with the axe and the chopping block. The axe is swung halfway down. He can't stop it now. Right. To them, it's all or nothing, because if they start losing now, uh, they'll, they'll release a lot of toys in their arsenal. That is the psychopathic mentality. It's like Adolf Hitler. Hitler uh, said in his last days in the bunker that if the German people were not fit in a Darwinian sense of survival of the fittest to dominate the rest of Europe, then they must perish. And, and they'll take, in other words, they take, the, they take everybody with them. Yeah. Phones are lining up here. Joe in Rhode Island. Welcome to the Midnight Rider Show. You're on. Hi, how are you tonight? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? Great. I was wondering if I could speak to Alan for a second. He's here at uh, at your at, at your behest. Ask away. Okay, Alan. How are you? Not so bad. Yeah. Uh, you talked about deprogramming before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I'd like to uh, give my answer to how that can be done. I believe that we're in the end times here, and I think it's very important to uh, go to a source that can speak for us. And uh, when the one worldism and when the end is near to this earth age, I think in the Zechariah chapter 8 in scriptures, 
It says, these are the things that ye shall do. In other words, this is the great deprogrammer, the understanding of the scriptures. And it says in that verse 16, Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. This is what you're to do. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And from verse 18 to 23 is actually a deep programming that would take place. Mm-hmm. It's known as the fast of the 10th month. Yep. Well, I wouldn't, well, disagree. I, I wouldn't disagree with it because um, people have to start getting honest very quickly right now because uh, the longer this farce goes on, the more power they're gaining. I don't people, think people realize how many laws are passed every single day now. They're all meshing together. And we can't pretend anymore that things are just fine. Uh, you might be able to go out now and, and have a good meal at a restaurant if you can afford it. But those days will, will, will come to an end. We've got to act now before uh, they get to the final clash. We've got to avert the final clash altogether. And, uh, and once we start rolling with the honesty and asking, what is another way to live? Because there are many, many ways society can go. Uh, then we'd have a chance of survival. We can't go backwards. We can't go back to an industrial society because that was their system too. They are the guys that gave their industries to China. So, and set up in China, there's still their industries based in China. So we can't go backwards. We have to find a new way which is far more humane because this is not a humane system. And one way or another, it will come to an end. Yeah. Yes, the... Uh last verse of those uh, verses that I gave I'd like to just uh, read that verse and explain it real quick there Joe, real quick uh, this is verse 23 thus saith the Lord of hosts in those days it shall come to pass that ten men shall take hold out of all languages of the nations this is one worldism all languages of the nations even shall take hold of the spirit of him that is a Jew, saying, We will go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. This is the deprogramming that has to take place. And even with the children, because the children have been left out of the equation by the parents, too, who are so busy chasing after the things of the world. Right. They, they, just, they give them money, and they don't give them advice. And the children are starved for communication, a human communication, personal communication. Inst- instead of that, they're getting it from a television or from the computer screen. And that's all handled by the big boys upstairs. Right. Joe, thanks for your call. I, I appreciate your call tonight. Let's go to Mark in Pennsylvania. Mark, welcome to the Midnight Rider. Alan, yes, you're the man. I'm the man, eh? I have a question about being, uh, speaking of being humane. When I go to explain to my friends and family and have a very tough time explaining what's going on with the truth about 9-11 and that sort of thing, they always say the same thing. How could they kill so many people? How, who could ever do that? And I try to explain it, and then I have, then I have a dilemma because... Aren't we sort of psychopaths in the sense that when we, they think of us as ants, right? Yep. And we think nothing of stepping on ants. So how can we expect anything different 
for for us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, how see, is it different? We and have, then it gets into the old, you know, do we eat meat? Mm-hmm. Well, is that fair to the animal that we eat? And even a plant. Who's to say that a plant doesn't have a brain? And uh, that's wrong, too. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll always go off in these tangents to... to to, to waylay the, the, the main problem. The fact is, if you look at the rest of nature, you can always say, well, nature's also eating the grass too. There's a lot of, a lot of grass eaters out there as well. And that's just the way they were made. Uh, the, the fact is, um, we're the only mammal, basically, that kills each other. Uh, we do that, ants do that, and some, some bees and wasps will do that. But man is the only mammal, really, that kills each other, not because they're in the way of something else, but because for power's sake itself, we actually kill thousands of people to gain more power. And that's what all wars are about. All wars are economic wars, ultimately, because uh, only a few, if you look at Britain, had centuries of war after the Bank of England was created. You could then tax all the, the people to pay for the wars indefinitely. And they had war after war after war, right up to the present time. It's still going on. They're, they're still over there in Basra. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's got to stop. Uh, we're, we're slaughtering for a few people at the top in London and in, in New York and, and Washington and so on. We're slaughtering at people just so they can gain the power over the entire planet. And that's really what it is. George Orwell said it himself in 1984. And he was trained, remember, and groomed to be a helper of the elite. He came from a long lineage of bureaucratic families. His father was a governor general or of Burma for, for the British Empire. And uh, he turned against them. But he, when he was uh, writing 1984, his book, when he asks O'Brien why he was being tortured so, uh, so much when it wasn't necessary, and, and why did they even have to torture, O'Brien said it was for power's sake. Yet everybody had to bow under, uh, the, bow to the knee, uh, or bow the knee for power's sake. And we've got to understand that is the psychopathic personality, which thrives in an economic moneyed system. This is their system. They gave it to us a long time ago. So before money, was it, was it ethical to eat meat? It, meat isn't the, the problem here. We're not talking about mass cannibalism. We're talking about slaughtering people uh, for a different reason altogether. If you eat, it's because you are hungry. That's different. Everything in nature is hungry. Even a bacterium gets hungry. Mm-hmm. You, you can't equate the two here. Uh, we, we were talking about people slaughtering for different purposes for power's sake. So it's the intention. It's the intention, and it's an aberrant intention. It's a deviant intention. Thank you. Uh, I can't wait to hear you on Dr. Deagle tomorrow. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for the call, Mark. Okay, back around the corner, we've got more more calls, 800-313-9443. This is the Midnight Rider we're with Alan Watt tonight. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network.
here on the Midnight Rider. Get your hands in the air, Mama. Show them. Yeah. We're talking with Alan Watt. Tonight, his website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Let's go back to the phone. It's either Phil or Bill in Texas on Line 3. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi, it's Phil. Uh, Hi, Phil. I don't know where to start, but, I mean, it's just so much. But I do want to make a few comments and then get Alan's response. Go right ahead. I, too, have often believed that. Since since my younger days, that love is the most powerful thing that exists in this universe, and I and I for some reason I've always understood that. Yet uh, today's churches or or, or uh, the clergy or whatever, I, I've never have been able to actually feel committed to go say to church or whatever because the message that they that they uh, preach seems to be always the same. It seems like they're regurgitating the same thing all the time. And they're not really dealing with the actual substance of what's going on in the world. And I guess my question to Alan is, is this part of their design also? And would you say that the scriptures are part of their design? Because I heard you on, on Taking Over for John when you were, you were on his show. You were saying that this goes so far back. So if one is seeking for for actual truth, uh, say from our Creator, uh, where is one to go? And, and the other the other comment I would like to, to or a question I like to ask. I I feel that we're, we are dealing with evil in its purest form. And I trust and I hope that the Creator has a grand design to someday put this to an end. And I just would like to hear Alan's response to some of these things that I, I raised. Yeah. Yeah, the, the uh, I mean, the, the whole, even the word love has been so muddied and dirtied by Hollywood and, and the music industry too, uh, that it means nothing anymore. Uh, it could mean anything from having sex to to buying a new product uh, it, it's been completely thrown out and that was intentional too that to destroy uh, even the terminology that bonded people together at one time uh, and that has been written about in think tanks like the Tavistock Institute in, in Britain a long time ago in the 1880s they said they'd have to destroy uh, the terminology of bonding uh, and religion religion was a prime one to, to move out of the way they claimed it had served its purpose, and that was true because the major countries used religion and gave you a cultural form of it, for, and slightly different in every country, for different peoples. So it was a, a control mechanism. However, maybe even compassion is a better word because once you get above the emotion, you get, you get a thing called compassion when you see the big picture and you see the vastness of society and the vastness of those who suffer within society same problems as drug addiction, as young people being thrown out on the streets or, 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 or uh, thrown in jail. Uh, this is called a functional society or progress. No, this is a dysfunctional society. You have to have compassion. This was all intentional. It was all brought about and planned, and every step of it was foreseen by the big think tanks and the, the reactions to it. Uh, and only through all the side effects and the fallout have they been able to, to make 
vast internal armies now, this paramilitary force now called the police and all, all the various agencies combined. It was all intentional. But we've got to always keep compassion for people, uh, even for, for those who, who fall. It's true enough. Uh, and lots of them have. And I get lots of mail from people uh, that, that have fallen big time on drugs and all the rest of it and who are starting to pick themselves up and stop blaming themselves for, for, for the ills of the world. Uh, that's what we've got to stop doing is blaming ourselves and look at the culprits and realize that we have better sites to us if we wish to use them. We've got to bring that to the fore and we've got to point out to the ones or point at the ones that are causing this, including all their think tanks that are, that are basically funded by our tax money to, to make our own chains. And we've got to start shunning the people and I mean that personally, even the families, to start shunning those who put on the uniforms, stop being proud of them, because eventually they're going to turn on you. We've got to start yeah. doing this now, because times are coming, becoming critical. Uh, they've published what they foresee for 30 years. It's 30 years of utter hell. And it's our choice now whether we're going to go along with it and, and just uh, you know nibble our food and hamburgers and watch television while it's happening, uh, or whether we're going to stop it now. Well, I, I see this every day, that deep, I guess I could, um, do you feel that the, the, the Bible is, is something that was given down by the Creator? Is this something that has been corrupted by them also? Or, I mean, where does one really seek truth from his Creator? Because I do feel that we've been created by the superior being that, has our best interest in mind, but yet somewhere down the line something was corrupted. Yeah. And where do we seek this truth? And Alan will answer that on the other side. Alan will answer it on the other side. Uh, okay. We're going to grab a break here. And if you want to join in, 800-313-9443. Don't go anywhere. This is the Midnight Rider with John R. Cash. Back in a minute on the Republic Broadcasting Network. to Tuesday morning, the 13th of August and the 14th. Tonight, our guest is Alan Watt. His website is CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And Alan, you know, Phil asks a very legitimate question as, as we head into the break about, about the Bible. And are we in truly in the last days, or is this a situation where these guys have read the book too? Oh, they've not only read the book. I mean, they've, they've reformatted it down through the ages always for their own political purpose 
And, uh, of course, you can actually see many of the changes they've actually made, especially where they wanted to put authority in the hand of the governments. They added a lot to it and emphasized a lot and omitted others. Uh, however, even though religion uh, has been so muddied as well and totally corrupted, uh, there's no doubt about that, it's completely corrupted. Uh, it's a cultural corruption uh, all through society, including religion in every country. There's so little bits of truth there which are eternal truths which can't be changed. Um, uh, this is the end of an age as far as uh, 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 the astrological or astronomical cycle goes because these characters at the top do have their own religion and they use the, the great zodiac as their big time plan. George Bush Sr. is referred to it in different speeches. He talks about the heavenly plan going, going as, uh, as it should He's talking about the age of Aquarius coming in and the age of Pisces, which is the Jesus, the fish, the fishermen of men coming to an end. That's what that means. And uh, so these high occultic characters at the top do have their own religion and they, they, they do use religion uh, to their own ends. Now, most people will obey all the good parts in religions, and, and but the elite do the opposite. They are the wolves. They know you will obey all the good parts because the good parts in all religions give you a good society, a workable right. society. Uh, Islam itself has more rules to do with, with good society than any other country or any other culture, I should say. They even put in their rules that uh, certain ways that people couldn't get too rich and form these particular types of dynasties because they'd have to give so much away in their wills when they died that their offspring couldn't accumulate great wealth. They tried, at least in that particular religion, to stop it. But the other religions, um, Christianity, unfortunately, went hand in glove with this system of commerce and money accumulation, then taxation, which is slavery. Um, and it's come to where it is today. The big boys at the top, the good shepherds in all ages, uh, have always worked for the ones at the top. Because if they're the shepherd and you're the sheep, then you're the dumbest animal on the planet. Right. And that's obvious. A sheep is the dumbest animal there is. It'll run into barbed wire, and, and the rest of them will all follow it, in fact. Yeah. Uh, so so we, when you realize the terminology that's used, we have to be very, very careful of what you're actually following. Uh, but inside the religions, there are always eternal truths that, that, that never change to do with the individual itself. Because any change that happens in life doesn't happen just in the world. It happens within you. And then you go into the occultic side, and they say that you are the microcosm. You are everything in the outside world happens within you, and vice versa. And the truth there as well. In other words, you can move universes by what you do and say and think, and how conscious you have become within your own life, cutting through, as I say, all the illusions that are downloaded into you through your upbringing and your lifestyle and, and indoctrinations. So you can overcome a lot by using uh, little bits of any religion, in fact. Now, if you go into uh, India and Hinduism, you'll find that in Hinduism, with the Brahmanistic culture, uh, they are more fatalistic uh, in a sense that nothing can be changed, and even that the elite themselves, who always dream of utopias, can never truly pull it off, because amongst the creator in Hinduism is also the destroyer that comes in. Uh, in a sense that happens with the personal life as well on an individual level we have a great period of creativity and but we all die too um, 
So it doesn't matter what religion you look at, there's bits and pieces of truth, and you can certainly take them, uh, those parts that you can use to better your own uh, perspectives on life in general and overcome the problems of life. But ultimately, you will see that this is a plan that's going on uh, down through the ages. It's a great big um, business plan, in fact, a project to take over the entire world. Uh, not only to take it over, but to run it in a systematic, pre-planned way. All the plans have been laid for the next 100, 200, 300 years. I don't think people realize how far this has gone. Right, and, and most don't realize how far back either. They don't realize that that this plan is all-encompassing, and these guys are serious about their business, and it's not just George W. Bush at the White House. No, it's not Bush, no. I mean, they published the, the takeover of the Middle East in the 90s with the New American Century Project, so they're quite open about what they intended to do. They also were quite honest that they need something on the, on the scale of a Pearl Harbor event to get public opinion on their side right. while well, they got it on 9-11. And, and, then, and even the mocking, uh, it's typical, too, of the arrogance of the psychopath, how clever they are and how they wink at each other when they keep us all in the dark. George Bush Sr. gave that New World Order speech, New World Order coming into view, on September right. the 11th, uh, two, uh, 1990, and he repeated it on September the 11th, 1991. Right. I mean, come on, how much do we need here? How much do we need before it sinks in? These guys are mocking us. I know. Anthony in Alabama, you're on the program with us. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, hello, Wally. Hello. Uh, I called originally for, uh, to ask your advice or a question on, uh, you was talking about forming groups. Uh, I have been watching this movement since the early 1990s and, uh, me and several of my friends at that time that was really watching and paying attention chose not to go run and join a militia or anything just to keep, you know, keep yourself out of the public eye. And if since then chose to try to strategically talk to certain people and enlighten them on it, and then make them come to you to want more information. Uh, is that the correct way to be going about this? Yeah, it is the correct way. And, and also, wherever you go, you can always say a little bit to each person. And if you see a sparkle in their eye and they ask questions, you can give them a little bit more. But you never download them with all that you know at once, so they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> When you realize they're living in a different reality, they're still at the 6 o'clock news version of reality, and you're feeding them information, so you've got to feed them very carefully. But yet yeah, groups um, are, a, are a favorite method that's been used down through the last few centuries anyway uh, to control and predict the population, and even to use those groups when required, always to their own detriment. Yes, Greg, you know... Uh as a matter of fact, this spawned a second question I had for you. While I was waiting on the phone, I heard you say something about the military duration of the police state. Yeah. And uh, I actually talked to a young man several times at work with me. And he finally came to me and he said, okay, I've, I've heard enough. You know, now what do I need to do? The guy 
for number one now I'm ex-military myself and I was actually chose to get out during the Clinton administration because I would absolutely refuse to wear a blue beanie and uh, I said the first thing you need to do is purchase you a couple of weapons you know and then he came to me several weeks later and said okay I've got a thousand dollars I can play with can you help me and I went to looking through magazines you know like the local buy sell magazines trying to find him something that was used he didn't have to sign his name for because he'd never bought a gun you know because I was a firm believer in telling him you go buy a new one you just told the whole world hey I bought a gun they know exactly where you live if it ever came to them coming to houses and I responded to an ad and the funny thing about it is when we all met together I went with him it was a policeman and uh, the rifle we was buying you know I asked him I was like alright what's the deal with it you know because I was an armor I used to work on does it got any problems you know if it does tell me I can fix it he's like oh no I'm going to have to move you along here we're running out of time my friend oh okay Actually, to, to make a long story short, this is more of a comment. Uh, this policeman actually told us he was just got on a team and was issued an M4 M16 and didn't need this gun any longer. So I'll leave you with that, and maybe you can help folks along with that. Yeah, Anthony, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. You have a good night. Thanks for listening. Yeah, yeah you, see, you see, that see, even in Canada too. About 1990 onwards, we started to get little photographs. These are publicity photographs for these little BTF-type characters they have in Canada now. Uh, and they show you them in the streets of Toronto on some suspected gunshot or something that probably didn't happen at all, just to get the public used to seeing them. And then about 1997, uh, the blue uniform with the blue shirt that they used to wear as police changed overnight to the completely black uniform all over Canada and no one this is the scary part, no one made a comment on it It was even their tie is black and their shirt is black and here they are from one day to the next changing uniform walking through the streets and no one made a single comment but what they have all been issued are, are really much more advanced uh, firearms and uh, I think it's the MP5 uh, submachine guns they all have now and, and different things. But they're also getting uh, an awful lot. The biggest purchasers of the, the non-lethal and the more advanced, even scalar-type weaponry are, are the, the police forces and the military. So they're way ahead of ordinary firearms when the big crunch comes. And, and I think they will use them eventually. Danny in Texas, you're on the Midnight Rider program. Welcome aboard. You're speaking with Mr. Alan Watt. Yes, sir. Great to talk to you. What is your opinion of the uh, John Birch Society? And one more question after you to that, please. Well, I, I don't really know too much. I, I know what they, they're supposed to have stood for, but I also have also heard the other side that they, uh, they collected a lot of money against the United Nations at one time and, and to use it for other purposes. So I, I don't know. I, again, they were so widely touted to leave a particular section of society, perhaps up the garden path, I, I really don't know but I, I imagine they were authorized to do so. I always tell people whatever personality type that you are, they have a group already made for you. 
Well, that's amazing, all right. What? Um, have you heard of a book called The Great White Lie? It's about cocaine being white, not racial, about The Great White Lie. It was a bestseller book. Uh, if you talk about the, the Great White Brotherhood, uh, that's an ancient thing that goes back even to the days of Enoch and before. Because uh, really symbolically, the illumined man who's risen above everything, uh, as they say, is washed as white as snow. It, it's, uh, it's a very, very old idea. However, uh, around the, the, the second century AD, third century AD, it evolved into a racial thing where interbreeding of illumined people became the, the new great white brotherhood, supposedly based in, in India after the Aryan race. No, that's what the, it's a book about cocaine. Is a, is a CIA uh, the, um, agent who arrested some cocaine dealers in uh, El Salvador, or whatever. Oh, and he yeah. was forced to turn them loose by the federal government, and he asked him why, and he said because they don't want to stop cocaine. It was a bestseller book called The Great White Lie. Yeah, there was another they, one also. It was called uh, Dope Inc. I N C Dope Inc. They went through the. The, the Dope Incorporated went right through the whole history of the big authorities bringing in, in the drugs. But if you look into uh, the China Opium Wars, you'll find all the big players today with the Bush families, the Careys, everyone that you know that went to Yale, all their predecessors in the same family lineages made millions when they were, were dropping bales of opium on the China shores a couple of hundred years ago. Uh, this is old, old stuff uh, using drugs against the people. And I've got uh, even talks on my website where I've gone through uh, the reports of other uh, agents who did catch other agents that they used to work with bringing in the drugs from South America. This is well known. Uh, it's been in the newspapers in Canada. The first thing that Bush did when they took over Afghanistan was to allow the regrowing of the poppies again. And you see the movie The French Connection and French Connection 2, because in that, those movies were pretty factual. All, all the heroin that you see in the world goes to Marseille in France, always has done. Marseille has protection like you wouldn't believe is left alone. And uh, that's where they ship the refined stuff out to. And it's distributed through the rest of the countries by the, the, the Secret Service in Britain, MI6, and the CIA in, in, the, in the, the U.S. That's, this is absolute truth, yeah. Well, he, uh, would you agree that uh, when Truman was president, he actually gave China to the communists by having um, ammunition taken to them that wouldn't fit their guns, they were slaughtered on the battlefield? And it was, yeah, that, that was, was old stuff, by, too. Uh, Truman, you've got to understand, he, uh, Truman always uh, used to quote a poem at the end of every major speech, and it was by Shelley, the poet, and it was about the federation of the world, you know, when the guns uh, war no more, etc., come to the federation of the world. He was a globalist. You'll find pretty every president before that was also a globalist. And if you go back into the writings of Benjamin Franklin and others, you'll find that they said in their own memoirs that they wanted the United States to be the embryo or the beginning of a federation of the world. So this is going exactly to plan. Yeah. Do you think uh, Franklin wanted the United States to lose its sovereignty? Do you, do you think they wanted it to be the manifest destiny where our race basically would control the world for its own protection? Uh, no, the United States might use that guise for a little while for the lower orders, but the higher orders in the U.S. Are all, always have been internationalists. These people have always been internationalists. Danny, thanks for your call. appreciate it. We've got to head to a break here. Uh, and when we come back, on the other side, we'll talk with Chad 
in Alaska. Yeah, the the, the opium crop in uh, in Afghanistan, the Taliban, Alan had, had completely wiped it out. I think the gross domestic product now yep. of of Afghanistan is up like four hundred percent. That's right. It's compared doing to good, what it was before the, the start of the yeah. war. <laughs> yeah, that, that's where their investments go into. It's doing really well for the big boys. Yeah. Oh yes, indeed. Back in a minute. This is the Midnight Rider on the Republic Broadcasting Network. Quickly, Chad in Alaska, you're on the program. Welcome aboard. A question uh, for Alan, and I'll, I'll hang up and take his answer off there. Okay. I'm calling to see what Alan has to say about a taboo subject in Christian patriot circles, and that is the subject of overpopulation. I see this factor at the root of almost all of mankind's problems, including freedom, since private property forms the basis of freedom, and overpopulation eliminates it. I mean, we really don't have many problems on this planet when we only have a few hundred million people. There's always some place to find land, clean water, and freedom. But whenever I raise this angle, people just say, oh, that's not a problem. There's plenty of room. God will save us before it ever gets bad. And people just seem to have no problem populating endlessly, and they don't care to limit themselves. And without evil powers that control people on Earth, I think man will just populate and populate until taking from each other is the only taking left. So I see our problems as much more complex than a battle of good versus evil, because man cannot control himself and will populate until he's forced well, to live in a state of suffering. Oh, Chad, thanks for the call. Go ahead, Alan. Yeah, I understand exactly that, that theory that's put out by the elite, by the way, and that's rubbish because if you look at the, the birth rates of, of more advanced people, when they have enough of, of, of the, the basic things in life, the population drops drastically. And in fact, some countries like France and so on, that they pay them to have children. There's not enough. So, so that's utter nonsense. In fact, uh, you look at the statistics in Britain, and their populations were falling since before World War I, uh, and drastically reduced after the wars, etc., etc., and still fell. Most parents only have one child at the most, if they have any at all. In fact, many decided to have none, and that's happening across the whole globe. If their basic needs are met, they don't, uh, they, they don't have as many children, and that's a, that's a fact of life. We're constantly given this overpopulation nonsense from the days of Malthus, who wanted to cull off all the useless eaters, uh, and we've got to stop listening to their propaganda and look at the facts uh, and the history and their own statistics, because that'll prove that it's, that it's true. And going back to the previous caller, do you remember um, the, 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 the drugs um, scandal with, with Cardinal Oliver North? We forget all about that, where right. the U.S. government admitted in court that they were bringing cocaine into the U.S. and distributing it on the streets of America to young children to get guns for their own contra scandal. Yeah, and, you know, and, and Alan, you know, this this shapes up to be, you know, in many instances, not only a battle for our survival, uh, but it also determines whether whether or not we move forward as a species. Absolutely. Whether or not we we defeat these people. Absolutely. Because as long as as long as they're in power, they keep us down on the farm. And I really think that once we, if, if these people are eliminated, 
our ability to evolve and become better human beings, the chances of that happening are, are increased probably a thousandfold. Oh, absolutely. And we'd also have to always be on, on the lookout. Every child should be taught what a psychopath is, how to recognize them. And, and we couldn't, again, go into the same monetary-type system because the, the same characters would take it over so quickly, so cleverly. They do it by instinct, and we'd all be working for them again. So we, we need a new way, but only by discussing it quickly and being honest about ourselves and to each other and learning to give and receive in all different ways that can we actually do this. Again, it all comes down to love. Alan, two hours has absolutely flown by. This has been a, this program has gone in a much different direction than what I thought. I, I thought we'd head down the Illuminati trail, and but we, but as always, the direction that it takes and the things that are discussed are always much better to come out as they're supposed to, and as opposed to trying to plan something. Uh, but I appreciate having you on. I hope to have you on again. This has been a great two hours. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. My yeah, the pleasure's been all mine. Your website is cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and so we'll know hopefully have you on for another two hours again, and we'll. Uh, We'll come up with another group of subjects we can bandy about and just let the show go where it goes. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Yeah, yeah indeed. All right. Well, thank you for being on the program tonight. Find somebody you love, folks. Tell them you love them. Spend some time with your kids, your friends, your family. We'll see you tomorrow night.